Hey everyone, Dave DeBow here with another episode of Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today we've got a big treat. We have a very, very, very active real estate entrepreneur on the podcast with us. Bill Allen is an interesting story. So looking a little, researching a little bit there. And correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, because I'm trying to tell your story, summarize. But Navy pilot got into flipping houses. It was kind of a one-man show for a while working too hard, doing too much. And then he somehow discovered efficiencies and has since then scaled his business. He's doing over 200 transactions a year, staff of 15. And if I heard correctly, I think you're only spending about two hours a week in that business. So you've taken the whole four hour work week and condensed it down to two. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, yep, you got it. That's exactly right. It sounds easy when you put it in, I don't know, 30 seconds, but it was probably a few years of really hard work before and after like flying airplanes and stuff before my day and after my day of getting the thing going. But that's where it is now. We probably spend with my COO about an hour and a half, two hours a week. And he does most of the heavy lifting and he works he works hard now, so I don't have to. Well, that's good. That's why you hired him. That's what it's all about. So a couple of questions here, Bill. First things first. What was it that kind of, well, let's look big picture. If I understand correctly, you focus primarily on flipping and do you also do wholesaling or is it primarily just flipping? Yeah, I started as a flipper. So actually I started as a landlord. I was running out of money and my real estate agent said you could flip this. You could actually resell this house and make pretty good money. I made $42,000 and that was like half of my income for my whole year flying planes for the Navy. So I said, I'd like to do more of this. So I started as a flipper and then I realized I wasn't getting enough deals. So now I started wholesaling after that. It was a kind of a combo 50-50. And now today, as we're recording this, we lean way more towards the wholesaling side. We probably wholesale about 90% of what we do now and flip the other 10%. All right. So for folks that aren't super familiar with that, just give us a brief description. What's a wholesale deal and versus what's a flip deal? Yeah, so a wholesale deal for us is we we go out and market for a seller. We we get a house under contract, and then we're trying to look for some sort of exit strategy. So we'll typically assign that contract or double close on it. So we'll just purchase it and resell it right after to another landlord, a flipper, an Airbnb buyer. It could be a developer, it could be somebody buying land. Who knows? But we look. It's supply and demand. So we are outsourcing properties, and and we're a marketing and sales company primarily. When we're flipping. We are actually buying the house, we're putting it under contract, purchasing it, raising the capital, and then fixing it up and reselling it to a retail buyer. So kind of the end buyer is the, is the key, right? Where's the demand? Is it a retail buyer or is it a off-market kind of person who's an investor? So either business to business or business to customer is the way that I look at that on the back end. We do some where it's kind of in the middle, yeah. where we'll just buy it, maybe clean it out a little bit, or just list it as is and sell it really fast. And we internally call that a wholesale, kind of like a wholesale retail combo. So those are the kind of three ways. Very, 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 very light rehab on, on just basically cleaning up. So exactly. Lipstick and rouge, as we say, right? That's, that's right. Yeah, nice. Okay, so it sounds like you definitely have it dialed in for finding good properties. I mean, you're, you're generating a massive number of leads. You're wholesaling most of them. So does that mean you're kind of cherry picking the best deals that make the most sense as flips for you? Well, what I noticed, so we tried to do that for the last two years. That was what it was. It was kind of this conveyor belt, right? Of transactions that would come in, these deals that we saw, and then we decide what to do with them. And what I noticed is 
we'd be really good in one area of the business, but the other one we weren't focused on and it wasn't producing the returns that we were expecting. And what I found was that wholesaling business and flipping business are two fundamentally different businesses. And we weren't separating them. We just kind of mashed them together and said, well, if we're good at this, we should be good at that. And so now we really don't do a lot of that anymore. Like we're not necessarily cherry. And I would love to cherry pick some of these deals, but pretty much everything goes out the back door as a wholesale deal, just because we don't have the structure, the process, the foundation set up to run a really efficient flipping business. Uh, Flipping business needs You need to be really good at raising capital, which I think that we are, but you need to be really good at project management. Mm -hmm. You need to be really good at budgets and timelines and scopes of work and and things like that and have the people in place. You have to have the boots on the ground where we're all virtual and we're all around kind of the Southeast of the country now. So we were making a bunch of money wholesaling houses because the business was automated and systemized. And then we were kind of breaking even or potentially losing some money on the flips just because they were taking too long and things would come up and we weren't focused on it. So The only thing that we do now, and I really recommend to everybody out there is get really good at what you do and focus is wholesale. And then the 10% that we do that we're buying is just because we have capital. We have the ability to deploy it. And the market's so good that we could just buy something at a discount and sell it on the retail market and make more than we would to our off-market buyers list. And so we're not actually doing 30, 40, $50,000 rehab projects anymore. My company's just not doing it anymore. I will you're, still you're doing be- more of those wholesaling type deals that you're talking about. That's all exactly, exactly. Well, the vast majority is the wholesaling, and then a few wholesaling deals makes sense. Exactly. So the big fix and flips, we're not doing those anymore. I do still do them personally, but I partner with somebody. I partner with the guy who was working with us before, and so he does it in his company, and I just bring the money. So he brings the deal, he does the work, I bring the money, and we split it fifty fifty. All right. So we've got a short short interview here, but. If you could give us a few tips or nuggets about what's working best for you guys in your business for generating all of these wholesale leads, these, you know, I imagine typically you're, you're dealing with motivated sellers or, or correct me if I'm wrong. So how are you generating this volume of deals? So to be very like exactly where we do, we still do direct mail. We do postcards. So very cheap and expensive postcards. And I'm, I'm more about volume and how often I can get in front of somebody versus how beautiful it is or fancy it is. Yeah. And then we are also doing online advertising. So Google AdWords, pay-per-click, some Facebook, we probably get maybe a deal a month from Facebook. It's not high volume, but we get you know a couple deals from Facebook and Google AdWords. We're also doing some texting campaigns and we kind of treat it like an ecosystem where It might be mail combined with text, combined with ringless voicemail, things like that. We don't have a full cold calling team build out or anything like that. So that's one area that we don't do that a lot of people are doing. But I'll I'll say the most important thing is consistency. We're consistent with our marketing. And that's where a lot of people slip up is I can say all these different methods and you can go out and do it, but you'll just scratch the surface. You'll do it for a month or two and then you'll stop and say it doesn't work. But I think it all works based on what are you good at and what are you set up to do? And we kind of treat it like an ecosystem. If I send a postcard, they might Google my company name and then click on our pay-per-click ad. And if we didn't have a pay-per-click ad up there, potentially they might go to some other company that does. And we've had a lot of people that click on our ad and think that we are the company that sent them the card and we weren't. So I think having a a couple of different areas out there is important, but being consistent is the key. I see a lot of people just, they stop. So that's that's my biggest tip to anybody. Consistency is the key. So question for you, Bill. How long was it from when you were like the one man show flipping a a house or two 
every year while you're still holding down your, your full-time job to where you really started cranking things up with the team? What was, what was that time frame? What did that look like? My first year I did one, my second year I did one. And then my third year I said, I, I need to figure this out. And I hired a coach, I got a mentor and he told me I needed to hire somebody. I was definitely afraid to hire somebody. I said, no way. I don't want to be responsible for them. A week later, he said, go think about it. A week later, I said, all right, I paid you a bunch of money. You probably know what you're talking about. I give in, let's do it. I hired my first person. And then it took four and a half months for me to get my first deal with that system. So when I say consistency, I was $22,500 in the hole from marketing, invested basically in my teammate and my, uh, and my marketing machine before I got my first $10,000 check. And then it was consistently one deal, then two deals, then three a month, then five a month, then we got to 10 a month. And we organically grew, but it took me, it took me a while. I mean, I won't say four and a half months is that long, but it feels like it when you're in the trenches, right? Most people quit. Well, when, after you're forking out, when you're forking out that kind of cash, plus whatever yeah. the hell you forked out for the coaching and all that kind of stuff, that's a significant investment. So what was the role that first person played in your business? What was, was that like your assistant? Was that, what, what did that person primarily do? So I called her a lead manager, but she was effectively an, an office manager. So she did some bookkeeping, some light bookkeeping. She would run and do some, like put a lockbox on a house maybe, or help me submit an offer. I was still making offers on the MLS as a flipper. Get a go, you know, go turn on utilities, make some phone calls. She'd also answer all the inbound marketing phone calls and set up appointments for me. And I was flying 10 or 12 hours a day in my Navy job. So I couldn't answer the phone and I don't like talking on the phone and she did. So it was a good fit. So She's kind of an all-around office manager, but primarily her job was to answer the phone and document leads and run kind of the back-end CRM to make sure that we're following up with those people because I was dropping the ball big time. And then the second person I brought in was a salesperson because I wasn't very good at sales. And that's where the business really took off. And I think that's where my mistake was in this four and a half months was I couldn't get to the appointments. I was just working too hard. So I found out my weakness. I hired out my weakness first and leaned into my strengths, which were numbers, KPIs, backend systems, automation, marketing, things like that. Yeah, I would imagine from your background as a pilot, you're probably a very analytical kind of person, very good with checklists and processes and procedures and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, that's that's very, very, very good advice. So hire out your weaknesses and, and lean into your strengths. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see new? Because I, I know you do, now you guys have gotten to the point where you're doing a lot of mentoring and training and you've got all sorts of events and stuff going on as well. What are some of the big mistakes you see people making when they're first getting into real estate investing, whatever, whatever they're doing, flipping or wholesaling or, or whatever they're doing? So it's easy to say now, but I think people get stuck. I think they just, they want to learn everything. I mentioned like hiring out your weaknesses. I feel like we've always been taught to kind of strengthen our weaknesses, right? And really focus there. But I think it's okay to be yourself, to understand who you are. But like taking action is definitely the hardest thing. We're so afraid to lose money that we're not willing to go do anything. Like you really get stuck. This analysis paralysis is a real thing. And it's ultimately because we, we're trying to guarantee a successful outcome. Like we can't, there's risk in everything that we do. And if we're trying to control the outcome and guarantee a win. It's just not going to happen. I think we got to get to a point where there's equal amounts of kind of education and understanding and also like real world information and, and activity. So you got to go out and take action. And I learned the most from probably the deals that, I, that didn't go so well, that I lost money on, maybe some of the ones that I made more money than I thought I was going to, all of these different things that happened to me 
but I learned the most from like the OJT on the job training than I did kind of from the book study because I was stuck in that for years. I was like learning, I was reading books, I was listening to podcasts, but I, I wasn't really just going out there and, and getting after it a little bit. So I think that's the biggest mistake is we're so afraid to, to even break even or just make a little bit of money. Like we want to make 30,000 and we won't do a deal that's going to potentially make us 15 or 20. And then we end up making five and we look at it like a failure. It's probably the, the people paid you to get incredibly educated. So it's, it's a cool business because you can, you can get paid to learn or even break even. You don't have to go in the whole $30,000 for a college education a year, right? So I think that's a big thing. Just get out there and take some action and do something. And don't be afraid of like looking or feeling like you don't know what's going on. Sometimes that's okay. You'll learn as you go. Yeah. So Bill, one thing I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more clarity on here. So let's, let's back up. Let's rewind. You're a full-time Navy pilot. If I recall, you're, you're also married. You got a, a growing family, beautiful family, the, the whole bit. You're a busy guy. Plus you're trying to do real estate investing on top of things. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. They're, they're still full-time at their job and they're trying to do real estate investing on the side. Realistically for most people, at what point would you recommend that they hire somebody to help them up? Like financially, where should they be where that's not going to be a huge burden and they can actually do that without losing too much sleep? Yeah. You know, real estate's an interesting thing because a lot of people will teach like you don't need any time or need any money and you can get started in real estate, right? Especially in the wholesaling world. That's a big push if they're selling a course or something. I don't think it's true. I think you need to have time or you need to have money. One or the other needs to happen. And so I was in the have no time bucket, but I did have some money. I actually pulled a, a loan from my 401k. I could take up to half of my 401k or 50,000. So I did that and I kind of invested in myself and said, I'm interested in getting this business going. I've seen other people do it. I know that I can. I had a bit of a track record. I had flipped two houses before and I had some rentals. So I was confident in that. And so I, I didn't know what the path was going to look like, but I set up a six month budget and I said, I'm going to spend $5,000 a month for six months. This much is going to go to my employee and this much is going to go to marketing. And so my employee was $500 a week. So she was about $2,000 a month. And I have $3,000 a month to spend on marketing systems, overhead, all that stuff. And so I think you have to decide if you're really busy, like I was, you have a family, you, you all of those things, you're going to have to put in hard work. Like I put in two hours before work. I put in three hours after work. Usually I was at work 10 or 12 hours and I had a little bit of family time. I basically told my wife, I'm not going to see you for a year, but I'm going to get this business up and running. We're going to get to a place where I will be home. I can, once, once my first son will can remember Daddy's going to be the coach. He's going to be around. He's going to be at everything. I can take him to school, drop him off, all that stuff. And in there, there's this uncertainty of like when to hire people. And so if you have some money and you don't have any time, you have to, if you want to do the business and not create another, I created a second full-time job for myself when I didn't have some help. Yeah. And it's a challenge. It really is. So everybody's going to be in a different situation. Now, if you don't have any money, but you have a lot of time, then you could potentially be that person that goes and helps somebody else get to that next level where you learn. Like maybe you, you help some, another investor that's already doing it and you, you're now getting paid to learn or you figure out, you might not be ready to hire just because you don't have any, you have to hustle to get that first deal or two. And then maybe you can bring somebody in. But I think if you have time, you definitely should leverage it to figure out how to do deals. If you don't have time, then you're going to have to find some working capital to bring somebody in to help you out. And 
if you're growing a business, like I organically grew, there are people that can come in for cheap. You can get a virtual assistant overseas to just work for a couple of dollars an hour. You can bring somebody in on 100% commission potentially, but you have to think of it like you have to take care of that person. And the biggest recommendation I have is not to need, not to think that you need $40,000 in your bank account to pay somebody $40,000 a year. So think of it like the next three to six months. What does that look like? And make sure that you have the runway to do that. But that person that comes in should be making more money than it costs you. So when they come in and you're paying them $2,000 a month, they should be making you more than $2,000 a month very quickly. And if they're not, and you're seeing that, then that person's not going to be around very long anyway. So you're never going to pay them $40,000 a year, if that makes sense. So that's where I see mistakes on newer people. I'm thinking you must have been sweating a little bit because you had that six-month runway and you're four and a half months into it before you you landed that uh, next deal. So that... So, yeah, I mean, looking, looking back, I would agree with that. But however, like I was seeing progress. I think the problem that we run into a lot with newer investors is they measure progress from, from like the only win that you have is when you do that deal. That transition from zero to one is massive. Like that is, that's earth shattering, like tectonic plates moving type, type things. That first deal is so big. That's belief. After that, it becomes easier. Like one to 10 is easy, easier. 10 to 100 is easier. 100 to 1,000 is much easier. But that zero to one, that transition, you become that investor. You like, you take on that robe, you put on that crown, right? That is huge. So you really need to spend time on looking at the small wins. And so I was looking at the small wins. Like we got this many calls. We have this many leads. We have this many people in follow-up. Like this offer is so close. We're making moves. We're actually seeing progress. So in there, I wasn't as concerned because I knew the dam was going to break eventually. Yeah. And that's where I think we mess up as new investors. New investors, they, they feel like that wall is there and they just can't get over it. But I kept, I stayed positive and knew that we were seeing progress. So how you measure progress and measure that feedback loop, you mentioned flying, like I'm, I'm an engineer, I have a background in engineering. So I'm very analytical, very numbers driven. Like that feedback loop is so important of what you're telling yourself in your head. And if you're saying, I still don't have a deal, I still don't have a deal, I still don't have a deal, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, that's a problem. I was going, we're making progress. I'm looking back in the rearview mirror from a month before, I can only recognize myself. Like now I've been in, I've been in 10 houses, I made 10 offers, I've, yeah. I've talked to sellers, I've, I'm so close, I almost got that deal. Like I knew it was coming. So I think that's the difference. Beautiful, Bill. Time flies when we're having fun, my friend. If people want to find out more about Bill Allen and, and your companies, where should they check you out? So we have a, like the place that I spend the most time is seven figure flipping. So that's my company now. I bought it a little over a year ago and you can go to our website, sevenfigureflipping.com. We have podcasts, YouTube channel, do some events. We have one live event per year that the public can attend. And that's where I have a lot of, a lot of my fun. If you want to like do deals together, get on our buyers list, uh, Blackjack Real Estate is named my real estate company. So those are my two. Well, congratulations on all you've accomplished. You've done some amazing things in a relatively short period of time. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I had fun. All right, everybody. See you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. 
investorattractionbook.com. Again, investorattractionbook.com. Take care.